0: Well, I can't wait to meet our host. I hear this is only one of his beat parties. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive,
1: the love will come back to me. Hello, friends, neighbors, and earthlings. I'm back for a new episode of 2 true to lie with HM day I've got some background music going today tonight excuse me house is empty besides me and the dogs I'm gonna do a real quick info from the home front if you've listened to the shows over the last year at least Occasionally, I brought up my dog, Button. Last weekend, Button was hit and killed by a car. Uh, Ethan was with me. We went out to eat. Button was playing with the neighbor's dogs. We rode with them out their driveway, Button followed us part of the way. We made sure he didn't come out all the way and then went out to eat, came back, uh, came home. Button wasn't hanging around. Went right around on the golf cart to the usual places, no button. We went up the driveway to the highway, which he never goes out on. And Ethan says, oh God, I hope we don't find him up on the highway. And we immediately found him on the side of the road and, that, and we, it was raining a little bit. It was already real wet. And we, he was cold. Uh, the silver lining, and there is no silver lining, but the silver lining that is, you know, so thin, was Button had the biggest smile on his face I've ever seen. Huge, open mouth. Smile, teeth showing, happy face, which tells me it was very, very quick. You didn't even know it. Bam, out. So Ethan and I brought him back and buried him back in one of the food plots behind the house. And I hadn't seen Ethan uh, cry. Golly, I don't remember. Years. And I you know my eyes rained <laughs> sometimes it makes my eyes rain. It was a hard night, it was a real frickin hard weekend, really. uh the next day, football took it off my mind for a while and just transitioned to the week by Tuesday night. I had a new dog from the shelter in Madison, so now, instead of having button, we have Lucy hello, Lucy. Where'd you go? Anyway. Breaking Lucy in. Probably two years old. Female. Looks a little like Button. Except short hair. It's black. Um, Same size roughly. Looks like Poncho. The uh, weenie dog mix. That my ex and I. Take turns. Keeping. Since we both. Or, you know, very fond of Poncho. Little Poncho. Well, I can hear Lucy somewhere in the house chewing on something right now. So, the new sounds you'll hear from dogs in my background will likely be Lucy. My first female dog. So sweet. Pretty hyper. Supposedly two years old-ish. But that's uh, mm, that's the sad news on the home front. I am almost out of green tea in the house. I am out of milk. I am out of white grape juice. I'm going to have to go to the store tomorrow. Okay, you've seen the title. I haven't written the title yet, but when you hear this, it will have been done. I'm not so sure if this <clears throat> excuse me, episode is about Fire. Or early human development. Or early cooking. And I'll have to hash that out later. But it is about all of those. And I was thinking, I'm always thinking, but I'm was, I was sometimes thinking, you know, new episode uh, subject. Because I've done so many episodes and you can't just redo an episode. You know, I've 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 gone through my past and the highlight stories from my past. I mean there's a few gems here and there I've forgotten that I'll remember and do one day, you know, some something. But I was thinking what was I looking at? I was looking at old buildings somewhere and I was thinking I wonder when humans started to build Houses, Actual houses, not huts. You know, the early shelters were trees and caves. And then they started making, uh, you know, thatch and stick. Uh, my mind, I, I shouldn't have talked about button. My mind is just. You know, you shoot a shotgun at a wall, and then you stand back and look at the pattern. That's my mind, the pattern. It's everywhere. Um, anyway, I was thinking about early, early, early first-time houses. And then I thought, what about the first time humans cooked food? What I mean, we won't know. There you are. We won't know obvious details. But scientists have come up with some really, really good evidence on human use of fire and the development from hominids to Homo erectus. What are you doing now, dog? So, let's kick it off. I've waited too long, but that's okay. Uh, oh, by the way, the background music is African music. African Savannah relaxing music. I may turn it up. I may turn it down. We've got a good sound system so it doesn't do what it used to do or it'll just suddenly jack up the noise. Can you hear it? Anyway. So without having really a topic mind at the moment I'm just gonna start off with the material preparing food with fire is an activity that is unique on this planet because only humans have done it on purpose archaeological evidence of cooking fires Go back about 300,000 years. But some scientists state that early humans started cooking up to 2 million years ago. Not finding charred food, cooking food with fire. Doesn't say anything about how they made the fire or found the fire or got the fire. Cooked food. Um... There's an analysis that suggests that early hominids, which are early humans, may have adopted cooking 1.8 to 2.3 million years ago. Uh, Burnt bone fragments and plant ashes were found and studied from the Wonderwerk Cave in South Africa that provided solid evidence of controlled fire by early humans one million years ago. One million years ago. That is so long ago. And that's people on this globe that we live on. It's, it's amazing to me. A lot of y'all probably turned the show off by now. Uh, there's unequivocal evidence of archaeology finding controlled fire 400,000 years ago. Long after Homo erectus was walking around on the planet, killing animals and eating them. Evidence states 300,000 years ago in the form of ancient hearths which is like a fireplace earth ovens burnt animal bones and flint were being found across Europe and the Middle East the oldest likely evidence of controlled use of fire to cook food was dated back 780,000 years ago and the Food that they found the remnants were fish teeth from deep within a cave fish teeth that had been heated 780,000 years ago when someone ate the fish to survive and live to survive and live another day anthropologists think uh, widespread cooking with fire began approximately 250,000 years ago because hearths were being found in a multitude of places across said Europe and the Middle East and Africa. Now, the earliest hearth ever found was dated back about 790,000 years. I wonder if it had fish teeth in it. I was thinking people were cooking with fire... Would I take a guess? 50, 70, 100, 100, 100, years ago. But I don't know. I I didn't, I didn't study it. Um, The control of fire by early humans... Was critical in enabling the evolution of humans. It was centerpiece. Because fire provided warmth and light... It provided protection from predators that were below, would it be below the food chain of humans? Meaning humans were higher on the food chain to like saber tooth tigers and other, uh, you know, meat eating animals. Fire allowed the advancement of hunting tools. And last but not least, it cooked food. And we're going to get into this cooking food thing in the past and why it helped the evolution of man from a hominid to Homo erectus to people like you and me. Get out of there, dog. What are you doing? That is not a place for you to eat. This dog's got to learn. It was getting in my waste basket in here. It's just got paper and cardboard in it. Um... Okay, method for cooking food. That's the final thing. Fire was helping humans. These cultural advances helped humans disperse across the geography, or whatever I want to call it. It brought on cultural innovations. It definitely changed the diet and behavior of developing man. Additionally, Creating fire allowed human activity to continue their activities into the dark. It says dark and colder hours of the evening. Would it matter if it was cold or not? You have fire, you have light. Warm or cold. So, controlling fire allowed hominids to sleep on... This this is the coolest one to me. Controlling fire allowed hominids to sleep on the ground and in caves, instead of in trees, which led to more time being spent on the ground. There were so many predators, large and small, a lot of them large in the hominid era. Humans were probably food, a food source. They were able to move down out of trees and spread across the land and this is thought to have contributed to the evolution of bipedalism walking around on the land and this ability became increasingly necessary for human activity it is possible that fire allowed if you believe in evolution and our supposed ancestors were apes etc and the small ones they they live in trees they were able to get down out of trees because they were protected more and they evolved now this is going over 2 million years time I never knew humans lived in trees. Were they humans back then? Or were they developing over the millions of years, over a hundred thousand years? You know, we'll never see a hundred years, let alone a hundred thousand years. The discovery of fire came to provide a wide variety of uses for these early hominids who had come down out of trees and moved into caves. Is that like... I mean, that's a step up in the world to them. I guess the comfort would be more than having a... I mean, how do you sleep in a tree? I guess you put branches across existing branches to make some kind of deck or pallet. Huh. Crazy. Of course, trees were probably gigantic back then. The warmth of fire obviously kept hominids warm (laughs) in nighttime temperatures and colder environments and allowed them to move from tropical and subtropical climates to more temperate areas like europe Woo! what's that oh it's my other dog god dang hey there nosy Fire played a major role in changing food habits. Cooking allowed a significant increase in meat consumption and calorie intake. Now we're getting into the evolution and the development of the hominid, the human body. Meat, they found, could be dried and smoked by fire and it would be preserved for future times when they did not have food or could not find food. Fire was used in manufacturing tools. It was used for hunting and butchering. I wish it told me how it was used for butchering, besides burning the hide off an animal. That's the only thing I can think of. But that would partially cook the meat within. Hominids would start brush fires just like the native americans and burn large areas of land to increase the land fertility and clear terrain to make hunting easier i really don't think they were thinking increasing land fertility in their brains back then i really don't think so it's a nice thought that they're being stewards of the land but i'm putting my money on survival It's all about eating and surviving. And I guess you could see enemies coming from far away if you clear the land. Or predators. Evidence shows early hominids would make corrals to trap animals by means of fire. Fire was used also to clear out caves so they could live in them. So if there were beasts in there or other hominids they didn't like in the cave or they didn't know what was in the cave, they would stack up a bunch of uh, fuel, you know, wood, wood source in the opening of the cave, light it up and burn and smoke it out so they could use it for their own shelter. That's pretty cool. Now, they used fire as, when I said corrals to trap prey animals, they didn't build corrals, although they did do that too. But they used fire as a wall or a barrier to drive animals to where they would slay them or over cliffs or whatever. The use and control of fire was a gradual process that proceeded through many stages. One was a change in habitat from dense forest where wildfires were common, moving to the savannas, which were mixed grass slash woodlands, where wildfires were much more intense. But this change is thought to have occurred three million years ago, when the savannas expanded in East Africa due to cooler, drier climate conditions. So as we're going from dense forests to savannas, you have your uh, flora and fauna. You have your animals moving from one to the next in search of food, just like the hominids would do. And the hominids, Let's see, the next stage involved interaction with burned landscapes and foraging after the wildfires, which humans observed in animals. Animals would go in after insects and seeds and, uh, you know, whatever was palatable that was left back. And the humans would go in after the animals but then they started learning some things from their surroundings in these post wildfires. Now here's a neat little thing that I just almost missed. The next stage involves interaction with burned landscapes and foraging in the wake of wildfires as observed in various wild animals. Well, this was in the African savanna Animals went to forage in these recently burned areas, and the example they give is the savanna chimpanzee. I guess the savanna chimpanzee hung out in the tree part of the savanna and less in the grassland part. That's just my, you know, maybe during the day after looking out from the tree and not seeing any predators the chimpanzees would go down and dig up grubs and seeds and whatever they could find eat it kind of like a squirrel and then pop back in that tree so now we've got our hominids going into these areas and learning and they would find these leftover hot spots when i when i was a wildfire fighter in uh Oregon in the 90s the only work i ever got to go out since i was a newbie first year was uh you went uh, you they shipped us they bussed us into these areas that had already burned over but there were lots of hot spots like half sunk half buried logs that had burned were still smoldering and there'd be little fires here and there. And so we'd go in and put everything out with shovels and dirt and, uh, and fire hoses that were fed from uh, water tanks uphill. It was gravity fed. No pumps. But hot, these hot spots are just like, you know, big ember logs in your fireplace, except they're on the ground or in the ground. And foods would be found in these burned over areas. And some of them were either burned or some of them were killed and undercooked. And hominids would make use of these hot spots to finish cooking whatever they found or whatever they killed. These hot spots were incentive to place undercooked foods on a hot spot or to pull food out of the fire if it was in danger of getting burned, if they found it like that. And this required familiarity with fire and its behavior, meaning, early man was learning fire behavior. Now we move on to the next step. Where man must learn to control fire. The control of fire would have been transporting it from burned to unburned areas and lighting them on fire, <laughs> providing advantages in food acquisition. Maintaining a fire over an extended period of time, as, like, you know, say for a season, such as the dry season, may have led to the development of base campsites where a fire was kept 24-7. They wouldn't know what 24-7 meant, by the way, in case some of you think they would. They wouldn't. Every time I look away from her, I lose my spot. Gosh dang. Yeah, here we go. Sometimes it was just like a campfire. Uh, Other times they would build a hearth to protect the fire hearth or a fire enclosure, like a circle of stones, which, which, which are things that have been found that are very, very, very old, which is interesting. And then along came the ability to make fire. I do not know when or how they developed that besides flint rock. But the bow drill rubbing hardwood into softwood that developed later, you know, What was the individual who came up with that? That's like the George Washington of fire. I guess that might be a really shitty uh, analogy. (laughs) All right. Well, let's jump back a million years before the advent of fire. The hominid diet was limited to plants which composed of simple sugars and carbohydrates like seeds and flowers and fleshy fruits. Parts of these plants, such as stems and mature leaves and enlarged roots and tubers, were basically unacceptable for food source because they were mostly indigestible. The raw cellulose and starch was just, it was not a nutritious source. But cooking made these starchy, fibrous foods edible and actually increased the diversity of the foods available to early humans. Toxin-containing foods, including seeds and other carbohydrate sources, such as cyanogenic glycinides found in linseed and cassava, were incorporated into their diets by cooking, which rendered them non-toxic. How would they know? Linseed is an oil. Well, I guess that it's it's a seed, but you know, you put it's in a chair finish, a wood finish. Anyway, so cooking made certain toxic foods non-toxic. Well, another awesome thing that that cooking food did was helping humans develop and grow parasites in meat was a killer you know when people were starving but they ate meat that had parasites or bacteria in it and they got sick you didn't go to the doctor you just puked your guts up and blew it out the backside and tried to stay hydrated or you died. And you you know, the population stayed low for a reason. People were struggling with their food intake and fire helped alleviate a lot of that. And that's why our population has grown and grown and grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. grown. That medicine Um, So cooking kills parasites. Not all of them, but most. Well, maybe that's bacteria that kill them all. Anyway, uh, cooking reduces the amount of energy required for chewing and digestion and releases more nutrients from plants and meat, which made me think, I've been really into eating sushi, which is raw fish, which is a raw protein, Which is a pure protein, but if it was cooked, would it have more nutrients? I'm thinking it probably wouldn't matter or the Japanese wouldn't have become the connoisseur, which is not a Japanese word, of raw fish eating. As as a food art, really, because raw fish eating is as old as people eating Right? Due to the difficulty of chewing raw meat and digesting these tough proteins and carbohydrates, the development of cooking served as an effective mechanism to... Kind of look at these huge words that are just so unnecessary. Cooking served as an effective mechanism to efficiently process meat and allow consumption in larger quantities. You could take out seven of those words. and say the same thing with the high caloric density and content of important nutrients meat became a staple to the diet of early humans via cooking I mean there were things you could eat raw but I'm sure they learned what you could and couldn't eat raw by you know watching those around you live or die by what they ate with the increased digestibility, cooking allowed hominids to maximize their energy gain from the consumed foods. Studies show the caloric intake from cooking starches improved 12 to 35% and for proteins, 45 to 78%. As a result of the increased gain from food consumption, the survival and reproductive rates in hominids increased from cooked foods and better health. Are you seeing how we're getting where we are now? It's, It's because of fire, which helped, you know, fire should be our God, or maybe fire is God. Maybe God is fire. How about that? I don't want to step on any Baptist feet. Um... So they lowered food toxicity and they increased their nutrition. And what did this do? This is proven to show that it allowed an earlier weaning age of children or babies from their mothers, permitting females to have children more often in time, which what? facilitates population growth that and survival the survival rate growing and the ability to have more children in a lifetime you know no wonder we're in the billions now what did it start with what was an early what was a 1 million year ago population of earth what do you think 50,000? 100,000? 1 million? 8? <laughs> Who knows? Before, okay, this is where it kind of gets jumpy and I'm near the end, but I like where it jumps off. Before the use of fire, early hominids had large premolars. You notice when you see the recreations of early human heads and faces, and they you know, they got the prominent bow and they got the huge jaw. Well, they had huge teeth that's so interesting. They had large premolars, and those were used to chew these more uh hard foods, like seeds and uh rougher fruits and and some of the things that they ate and so it's thought that due to the shape of their molars. Their diet was definitely leaf and fruit based or vegetable, you know, foraging based. But with fire and cooking of their foods and moving into meat, with the response to consuming cooked foods, over time, the molar teeth started to shrink. They got smaller. They weren't it wasn't necessary for teeth to be that big. Now this isn't this didn't happen over a year. This happens over thousands and thousands of years, I would say. So the diet changed from tough foods to softer foods. And cooking with fire was a huge part in that. Cooked foods further selected the differentiation of their teeth and eventually led to a decreased jaw size with smaller teeth, much like we have today in Homo erecti. Now, I couldn't find, in all that that I've talked about, I could not find where to stick these last two little paragraphs. But it, it is a jumping to the future Pre-electricity, pre uh, steam engine, it it goes back to when you know you had you sailed the oceans, and fire was your heat and your light and your cooking method. But you had clothes and textile mills and stuff like that. But this fire and the use of fire for cooking that gradually helped evolve Homo erectus and the population growth and the spread of the population led to an expansion of agriculture, of commerce, of trade. Aren't those the same things? Hmm. And transportation, that's, that's expanding, between civilizations in different regions that offered also cooking methods and new ingredients. New inventions and technologies were coming around. And I'm not thinking computer or the rifle. We're talking about the invention of pottery for holding water And for boiling water, these items expanded cooking techniques. And this would go back in this continent, um, 300 years, they were still making pottery. That's an estimation because I don't feel like figuring that out. And so then we have the old world, and we're in the United States here, and so we call it the old world and the new world. The old world is Europe and the surrounding areas. The new world are the Americas, and that's North America, South America, Central America. So the communication between the two, which were vastly different cultures, came about. It's kind of been called the Columbian Exchange. Columbus, for some reason, gets all the credit. But there were others. Amerigo Vespucci. You know, there, was, there were others. Not, not to knock him or knock him. But, but these communications influenced the history of cooking greatly. Through ingredients, mainly. The movement of foods across the Atlantic. Between the old and new world. Changed everyone's diet. More so, I would say, in Europe. As far as profoundly new and different. Edibles. Edibles that were brought back to Europe. The things that were brought back to Europe by the uh, explorers were potatoes, tomatoes, corn, beans, bell peppers, chili peppers, vanilla, pumpkin, cassava, avocado, peanut, pecan, cashew, pineapple, blueberry, sunflower, chocolate, Gourds and squash, a lot of these were not in Europe or anywhere in the, in the. Um, I don't know if they're in, in Eastern Asia or not. But they were brought to the old world. And, you know, they brought tomatoes back. And some places ate them and some places just planted them. As a decorative garden item to look at. The, the, you know, beautiful red-orange, plump berries. Because it is a fruit. We, We all agree. A tomato is a fruit. Right, right, right. So, you know, I look at that and I'm thinking, look at all the stuff they did not have ever in Europe. And, and, and the surrounding areas of Europe. Europe's not the center of the world. But look at the things that came to the new world. From the old world. You have cattle, beef, sheep, pigs, wheat, oats, barley, rice, apples, pears, Peas, chickpeas, green beans, mustard, carrots. So these items are crossing and adding to the items that are already there. And they're coming up with all this new stuff. And now it's just, you know, pick up a cookbook. Just one thick cookbook. And it doesn't matter what, what, what its specialty is, whether it's Cajun Creole or whether it's uh Ooh <laughs> The Best of Iowa cooking. It's probably two pages. Um you, you know, I'm I'm biased. I live in the South. I'm from the South. I'm in Mississippi, Louisiana's next door. You can't beat our food. You can't do it. France, you can't do it. England, I know you can't do it. Japan's got some great stuff. Never been there, but I like their food. But come on, you cannot beat the Louisiana-Mississippi connection and our uh, soul food, our country food, and our Cajun and Creole food. That is just... You can't beat it. We're hitting up on... uh, Forty-two minutes, but we're hitting up on crawfish season. In fact, I've been seeing people post pictures of crawfish already. They're already hitting it. They, it wasn't even February yet. They're already hitting it. Can't wait. They can't wait. You gotta have some patience. I think this song is just the same beat on a loop. I thought it would like have a variation. It's African music, I don't know if you can hear it or not. It's just the same it goes to the same beat. It's the same wave of music. I mean it's nice. you know it's the kind of music where you could just take a huge fat nap to. Or maybe you could kiss on your sweetie, too. Who knows? You you could take a nice, long drive across the country, too. I don't know. That'd get old. You'd have to have variation there. Variation is the word of the day. My name is Day. I'm glad you're listening to my shoe. Oh, I think I'm going to let it go. I'm going to drink some more tea real quick. Just so you can hear the ice. Oh my gosh. That's so good. Ooh, it's cold. Um, so yeah. I hope there was some info in there you might like. I'm, uh,. You know, if this episode wasn't as good as some I've done, believe me, I know it. <laughs> I'm just scatterbrained, uh, you know, lost button last weekend, got a new dog I'm trying to chain train, except it's been raining every day since I got her, except for today, but my mom is moving into a retirement home at her own wishes, which is great because I don't wanna to have to make that decision or her hate me. Um, she feels secure. It's a cute little place. She's comfortable. It's definitely going to take, take some, uh, gosh, take some adjustment. And we've got her whole house that we've got to figure out what to do with all of the things that she can't put in her little apartment. I mean, really, I hadn't even gone upstairs. I can't even imagine uh, what I, what I walked into and was just like, whoa, what are we going to do with all this stuff? And she's like, ah, we'll get there. Where are the two pantries? You know, I'm just thinking pantries. So much stuff, you know, collected. And she's not a pack rat. She's not a hoarder or a collector. But when you're such an excellent cook and you've been doing that, you know, cooking for your husband for so long. And then he's gone. Going on two and a half years right now, yeah. Um she did okay living alone in that house. She was in a good neighborhood with a with a guard and some gates and stuff that aren't exactly watched all the time nor only I have a key or a passcode you know it's just stop gates open come in stop gates open go out but she's on the back side of it she was and so I was never uncomfortable about her living there and she cooked less and less and she goes to bed really early now and I just I I wasn't even seeing it until this whole move thing started And I guess it may be she's just distracted but it seems like she's not that she's lost but she's just like starts walking down the hallway in this place where she moved the wrong way and I'm like oh it's this way and she's like ah oh yeah and so we turn and we go the right way but uh I guess it's better if she's kind of fading I don't know how else to put it that she's there where there's 24-7 help if you need it then at home alone where someone's got it you know it'd take me 20 minutes to get there from here where I live I'm out in the country man it has rained so much there's water everywhere the golf cart was stuck back where we buried button in the backyard in the back backyard and then it rained every day for gosh let's see button died saturday night got the golf cart stuck saturday night i got it out today it's friday (laughs) and i tried to pull it with a four-wheeler and got it stuck well, the four-wheeler has a winch, so I pulled the winch cable out to a tree and pulled it forward about 20 feet, and it wouldn't. four-wheeler wouldn't pull it. It would have gotten stuck again. It's just so wet. So I pulled the winch cable back out to another tree, the next 20 feet, and then I have to do that two more times to drive the golf cart into the yard and around front where I can wash it off. Um, I guess if I couldn't, if the winch wouldn't have worked, I could have used the tractor. But man, think of the mess that a big, heavy, giant wheeled tractor would do. It's not in my yard, it's over in the side past the garden. Can't you see it? Can't you see it over there? <laughs> um. So I've got some new listeners. I don't know how much they listen. Maybe a little. Could be a passing fad. But I appreciate you. I appreciate y'all. Um, one, I know I've met younger than me. Seems like a really great person. I hope you stay a great person always. Um, my advice to think on every once in a while if you need advice you may you don't need any advice you got your own parents but uh cherish your family and stay in touch with them and if you have brothers or sisters that have moved somewhere keep in touch if you have uncles cousins aunts that you used to know but you don't see so much now get in touch Send an email, text, you know, keep it simple if you have to, whatever. But family, family is a big deal. You know, these, these hominids, these homo erectus and these homos, these homo erectus uh, people long before us that we descended from relied on each other. And that was to survive we don't, we don't necessarily need one another to literally survive. But we can keep our sanity and we can, you know, we can spread the joy more than anything. People love to get phone calls, I would think. Maybe not crab, crabby people. And emails, you know, just pop up, hey, just saying, hey, what you been doing? And so that that goes for family, that also goes for friends. Your friends are gold, treat them like gold, they're valuable. And I don't mean use them, I mean treat them well because the way you treat them will mean how they will treat you. And then the most important thing of all, and this is not the most important thing of all, when I think about it, because family should be and friends should be, but strangers, people you bump into briefly in stores, or you know, I don't know, if you go to church socials or at a play or or whatever, you know, be friendly, smile. Be nice, be honest, and spread that ripple of joy. Because when that ripple goes out, that kindness, they know there's kind people out there, and it makes them feel better. And then they're kind, and that goes out into people. And it just—that's what I call the ripple effect, the, the the kindness ripple. I don't know if I have a name for that or not. I I say it the end of every stupid show I do, but. It's very important. Make lots of friends. I think it was Jack Kerouac who who stated, and he wrote a lot because he was a writer, and he loved to write, and that was his life, besides drinking himself to death. he uh, I'll paraphrase. He said you can never meet too many people. You should meet as many people as you possibly can while you're here on Earth. You can learn from them and they can learn from you and you can comfort each other, make each other laugh, but, uh, be kind, you know, I've lectured enough tonight. It's been a long time since I've done an episode. It's been over a week for sure. Maybe longer. I got to figure out what to name this and get a closing song now. So peace.